look at uh, Luke chapter 1, uh, if you would. And we're going to begin in uh, verse 67 and read down through the end of the chapter. And uh, this is uh, Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, speaking. And his father, Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the God, the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people, and hath raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that he, which, uh, that he would... Uh, that he should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath which he sware to our father Abraham, that he would grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And thou, child, now he's talking about John, his own son. And thou, child, shalt be called the prophet of the highest. For thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins through the, ten, uh, through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us to give us light, uh, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. Now look at verse 80. And the child grew and waxed strong in, the, in spirit and was in, say it with me, the deserts till the day of his showing unto Israel. Isn't that interesting? You can maybe be seated. And uh, we're continuing where we were this morning uh, talking about the deserts and journeying uh, into the desert of our lives. This is uh, Sermon 2, and uh, tonight I've entitled it, Trust the Process. Trust the Process. And uh, my text verse of all these, we'll go back and look at some of these, but is there in verse 80, uh, and the child grew and waxed strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his showing unto Israel. How many... Uh, how many Philadelphia sports fans do we have? Most of you in the building. Uh, I, I want to bring up one of those sports teams that I may get some awes from, and uh, that's the 76ers. Maybe you've heard of them. And, uh, and so Philadelphia, coming to Philadelphia, the, the area, uh, one thing I've learned being here eight and a half years, about 50 miles from Philadelphia, is uh, one thing I've learned is that Philly fans are fanatics. They're fanatical about their sports. And of course, being a, a sports fan myself, the only thing that compares, I think, to the passion of Philadelphia sports fans is that of college football fans in the South. We are crazy about college football in the South. And uh, there's only one team in the state of Florida. The rest are losers. And... Uh, I won't tell you what that team is, but they go by the name of the Seminoles. And, uh, but, uh, you know, the, just, just the sports fans in the South are crazy about college football. And that, well, that kind of reminds me uh, and how, uh, what I picture uh, Philadelphia fans as. And, and a few years back, I, I remember that uh, the, the uh, 76ers, uh, they were just terrible. Matter of fact, I was able to get tickets for me and my two sons, I think, 
uh, one time for like 20 bucks, uh, sitting down almost near the court. I mean, it was just bad. And, uh, and everybody in Philadelphia knew it was bad. They were really, in essence, almost the laughing stock of the, of the NBA. And uh, until they, the, their front office uh, made a decision. And they made a decision to tank, that's the word, to tank their season. In other words, we're going to not try to win. We're just going to lose. We'll play a little bit. We're just going to lose. In hopes of that we will be able to get a, a draft pick a really high draft pick. And they just didn't do this one season. They did this season after season after season after season. And a phrase began to be birthed around Philadelphia. And uh, if you listen to sports radio and you would listen to these guys, here's what they would say. We just have to trust the process. And the process was... We'll get enough good players to make us good. We'll get a new coach. And then we'll eventually, hopefully, do what? Start winning. Well, last season, guess what? After seven years, they made it to the playoffs. They won games and they, they made it to the playoffs. And, and at the end of last season, everyone said this right here. The process worked. We just had to trust the process. Now, in the meantime, the fans were still struggling with their team. They were still frustrated. They were still angry. They even wanted at times, let's just fire the coach. Let's fire, let's, let's fire the general managers. Listen, we just need to get rid of the owner. We, we need to get, we, this is not working. But they kept saying, trust the process. Trust the process. Isn't that just like how we live our lives? We always want to win, don't we? We always want to be on the positive side. We, we always want the blessings now. We want it to be perfect now. We want everything to work out for good right now, don't we? That's how we want life to be. We don't want life to have difficulties and, and challenges. We don't want life to have the process. We want to win the championship of life right now, don't we? But that's not how God does life. Life is not without pain. Life is not without suffering. See, when there's no, when there's no process, there's no patience. And when there's no patience, there's no waiting. And life is all about waiting on God. Here in Luke chapter 1, we, we come back to a, a desert scene. And so in the morning we looked at what the desert was and what the desert taught us. And tonight I want to give you a picture. I want to give you an illustration of someone's desert process. So that hopefully by the end of the night maybe you can see God does have a reason for the deserts in our lives. And uh, we're going to look at this from the life of of John the Baptist. And so we learn that God drives all of us by the Holy Spirit into the desert. And here's why. God is leading all of us into deserts in order to do a deep work in us that He can do a great work through us. So what He's doing. You've got you to keep that perspective. You've got to Keep that in mind. And so we learned this morning that when we're in the desert, we have to really take two action steps. Be patient 
and pay attention. Can you say those with me? Be patient, pay attention. That's what we're to be doing in the desert. And so this more, uh, tonight we're going to look at here at this baby named John the Baptist. And here in this passage, uh, beginning in verse 67, John, that we know later as John the Baptist, is only eight days old. Eight days old. And his father being a priest, uh, he is prophesying over the birth of his son. He, he can now talk, remember, his father couldn't talk, God tied his tongue. And now he's, he's, his son has been birthed, he's able to talk, and the first thing he comes out is, no, his name will be John, and then he gives this prophecy beginning in verse, verse 67. But I want you to focus, if you would, down beginning in verse 76. Because we're going to see what John is going to learn in the desert. The process that God uses in John's life for John to do something great. And so I want to just walk you through this and then we'll, we'll call it an evening and go get our water ice. Amen? I'm learning, I'm learning. So number one, here, here's what I want you to see, that even though, even though John was only eight days old, we see in these verses that God has a purpose for John's life. God has a purpose for John's life. Look at verse 76. He says, And thou, child, shalt be called the what? The prophet. The prophet of the highest. You see, John's purpose in life was to be a prophet. Jesus said these words in Luke 7, in verse 28. For I say unto you, among those that are born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. Jesus even said John was a prophet, not just any kind of prophet, but he up to this point has been the greatest prophet that's ever lived. Those were the words of Jesus in describing his cousin John. And he said that this John being a prophet, he would go out before the arrival and the revelation of Jesus to declare and prepare people for Jesus' coming. You see, John had a purpose from God. Uh, if you're still there in Luke, look back at uh, uh, verse 17 of chapter 1. Here's what it says about even before John is born, when, when the angel appears to Zacharias. Look at verse 17. And he, speaking of John, shall go before him, Jesus, in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and to the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. What was John's purpose? John's purpose was to be a preparer of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look, if you would, at verse 80 of, of chapter 1 again, verse 80, and look at what he says. And after he prophesied, after Zechariah prophesied about this, about his son, look at what verse 80 says. And the child grew. Listen, what do children, tip, what do babies typically do? They grow up. That's a part of life, isn't it? They grow. So the child grew and waxed strong in spirit 
and was in where? The deserts. God drove John to learn and prepare him for his purpose where? In the desert. In the desert. And notice it just doesn't say one desert, but it says what? Deserts. More than one. See, listen, church. God has many deserts prepared for you in your life. Many of them. Not just one, but many. And they're all shapes and they're all different sizes and they're all different experiences. But in order for John to be prepared, in order for John to learn what his purpose was, God drove him to the deserts. Let me show you this morning, uh, tonight, that God has a purpose for your life. God has a purpose. And God said in Jeremiah 1.5, speaking about Jeremiah, He says, Before I found, uh, formed thee in the belly and knew thee, and before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. See, God has a purpose for everyone. God has a purpose for you. God has a purpose for me. My question to you tonight is this. Do you know what your designed purpose is? Do you know? I think a lot of us guess. We do a lot of guessing about our purpose. But do we know that God... Let me, stay, let me take a step back from that. Do we believe God really does have a purpose for our life? There's a reason you're here on earth. And your reason here on earth is not to occupy your address. It is not to drive your car. It is not to uh, fill that job position that you go, you're going to tomorrow. God has a kingdom purpose for your life. Something that He wants you to do. And would you know this tonight that many times God drives us into the deserts in order for God to reveal and for us to discover what God's purpose is for our life. You see, you and I will always struggle with the process of the deserts if we don't understand that the purpose of the desert is God wanting to reveal. God wanting to reveal. What is He wanting to reveal? What He wants you to do. What He wants you to be. I remember going into my, uh, the church I grew up in Jacksonville. I went to the assistant pastor's office. His name was Mike Reedy. He now pastors in Fredericksburg, Virginia. And I remember going to his office one time and, and uh, we were talking. I just don't know what God wants me to do. I don't know what God wants me to do. I don't know what God wants me to do. You ever ask that question? God, what do you want me to do? And here's what he said to me. Do you think God is like a, a man who dangles a carrot in front of a donkey? He just dangles it out there, and when you get close, he snatches it up and hangs it over and snatches it up because he, God really doesn't want you to know. He's just dangling it out there, hoping you maybe guess at it or maybe you'll find it one day. That's, that's not God. That's not God. God wants you to know. Now, now here's, here's how we want God. Now watch this. Remember the control freaks from this morning? Are you one of those? I'm one of those. Here's what I want to do. 
I want God to be like Dunkin' Donuts. Really, I do. I want to be able to drive up in the drive-thru, and God says, all right, just pick and choose what you want here. And then I go and I order and I go up to the window and he, they hand me what I ordered and I have it and it's done. Now, doesn't that sound simple? Doesn't that sound easy? Doesn't that sound like, you know, I think that would even work. What if God had a bunch of God Dunkin' Donuts in places, you know? That we could just say, God, show me what you want me to have. But you know what? God doesn't work that way. God says, you need to go to the desert. Because it is only in the desert that you're going to learn. It is only in the desert that you're willing to surrender and yield to what I want you to do. What I want you to be. Now, remember, how old is, how old is John here in Luke 1? Eight years old. He's growing up. The Bible doesn't say what age he was when God drove him to the desert. But here's one thing I do want you to take a note of. Just take a mental note of this. He is only maybe six months older than his cousin, Jesus. We know nothing of Jesus except when he was 12 years old. He showed up at a temple teaching the next time we see Jesus is at the baptism. And we know John comes on the scene, or Jesus comes on the scene around the age of 30-ish. That means John is right around the same age. Do you know we know nothing of John for 30 years? John lived 30 years of obscurity in the desert. 30 years. And we panic if we don't know, if we don't have an answer from God tomorrow, don't we? We get impatient if we don't have an answer from God next week. We're, we are on edge if we can't, if God doesn't show us in a year what he wants of us. See, John had to spend 30 years of preparation in the desert for his purpose. Number two, not only do we see that John, that God has a purpose for our lives that we find in the desert. But secondly, God had a plan for John's life. A plan. There was a plan. Look at verse 77. He says John would come as a prophet. Verse 77, here's what he would do. Here's the plan. He would give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins... Through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring on high hath visited us, he would give light to them that sit in darkness and the shadow of death, and to guide our feet into the way of peace. Now, here, here's what the plan was. The plan was that John would declare a message. He would declare a message of a better way to do life that would come through Jesus Christ. Now, I don't have time to unfold all of this, but if you go to Matthew and Mark, you'll see, uh, I believe it's in Matthew, that when, when John finally arrives on the scene, and the Bible says that all of Jerusalem went out to hear him. And, and, he's, and he's preaching, and while he's preaching, three different groups of people ask John a question. 
the, the normal, what we call the normal people, asked John a question. John, what do we do? The religious crowd asked John a question. John, what do we do? And then the soldiers, the Roman soldiers, asked John a question. What do we do? You know what they're all asking? What you're preaching, how, how do we do life different? You see, the reason they were asking these questions is because the message of John was a way to do life different than the way they had been doing life. A life that would only come through Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus would provide for those living in the darkness of hopelessness and helplessness. Jesus was going to be the true light of God. He would guide those that were hurting and bitter and angry and wayward to find true peace through Jesus Christ. So what was the plan for John? The plan for John was that John was to be in the desert. And John would learn. Now get this. If you, if you get nothing else tonight, get this. John being in the desert would learn that he was not the Savior. John is not the Savior. Now, the reason I know that makes sense is because when they come to John later on when he's preaching in the wilderness, they said, are you the one? And he says, no, I am not the one. But the one coming after me is mightier than me. Uh, hold your place there in Luke and, and go to the Gospel of John. John chapter 1. And look at verse 23. He said, John 1, 23, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. And here's what I was sent to cry out. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. Look down, if you would, at verse uh, 27. He it is who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoes latch it I am not worthy to unloose. Flip over to chapter 3 and look at verse 30. Again, they're asking John, are you the one? He says, no. He, verse 30, he must increase and I must what? Decrease. You know what John learned in the desert? I am not the Savior. There's only one Savior. And church, can I tell you this, to this evening? You are not the Savior. Many of us are driven to the desert to learn this one truth. I just learned this a few years ago. Because I'm going to tell you, and, and I can say this because your pastor isn't here. Pastors can develop a Savior complex. We think we're the Savior. We, you come to us for counseling, we give you the answers. We get up and preach every week and we give you God's Word. And, and, and you come to us with your struggles and your troubles and your difficulties and your challenges. And you're looking to us. And it's very easy for men to fall into the trap that I have to be the Savior. I've got to keep the doors open. I've got to keep the lights on. I've got to get people to give money. I've got to get people to, to serve in the church. I've got to get people to, to serve as deacons. And before long, we develop a savior complex. And, and I'm, you can ask my wife. She's here tonight. If I'm lying, I'm dying. God hit me with this. I am not the savior. 
Because me trying to be the Savior is totally exhausting. You ever been exhausted in life? You ever found yourself just totally, totally, completely wiped out? I can almost bet you it's because you're trying to be something you were never intended to be. You're not the Savior. Listen to me. You're not your spouse's Savior. You're not your child's Savior. You're not your church's Savior. You're not your pastor's Savior. You're not your family's Savior. You're not your job's Savior. There is only one Savior. And I, and I am as sure as I'm standing here, John was sent to the desert to learn there is only one Savior. And He must increase. And I must decrease. I am not worthy to unloose his, the, the, the latchet on his sandal. It's not me. Look to him. Look to him. Look to him. You know why, you know why God drives us into the deserts? Because he wants you to look at the only Savior there is. So church, look to him. Look to him. That's the plan. The plan is to look to Jesus. See, God has a plan for your life and my life, and that is to make much of Jesus. And this plan is revealing the gracious wonder and beauty of Jesus Christ. You see, there are people that God will lead to you because He wants you to give them the message of hope that comes from the one who has all hope. He wants you to be light that leads people to the light of the world. He wants you to guide people to the only true peace in this world that is found in the Prince of Peace. I, 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 there's really no way, I, I wish I had time, I can't even describe it, but there is something about when you get a hold of the truth that I am not the Savior, that is just freeing. It is freeing, it is, it is liberty, it is saying, thank God I am not in control of all this. <laughs> it's not on my shoulders. Man, it's like a burden lifts. And you know what? If it falls apart, man, it falls apart. It's not up to me. If it blows up, then it blows up. It's not on me. If Listen, and this is hard to say. Listen, I talked about this morning. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around this kind of God. But if the house goes in foreclosure, okay, it goes in foreclosure. It's not up to me. It's up to God. He's, he's the Savior. He's the one in charge. And we only learn that in the desert. We only learn in the desert that He is the true Savior. Too many times we think that God's plan is for us to be other people's Savior. See, it's in the desert that I learned that I cannot even save myself. I mentioned Pastor Pete this morning. He told this story of a Harvard law professor. And uh, now you don't, you don't think of, of Harvard today being a conservative theological school. But students were coming to this professor at Harvard, and the students would tell him, I don't believe, there's nothing you can, can tell me or convince me to believe in God. I don't believe in God. And here's what he would say. He says, would you mind sitting down for a moment and describe to me the God that you don't believe in? 
because I probably don't believe in him either. Now think about that a moment. Why did he say that? It's because for too long, we as Christians have made up the God that we want him to be and not look to the God that he really is. And it's only in the desert that we learn to let go of the God that we have made up and learn the God that really is. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, Amen. the God of John, the God of Paul. That's the God we have. That's his plan. So we see the purpose of the desert. We see the plan that we learn in the desert. But then lastly, God had a process for John to follow. God had a process for John to follow. Any of us would think with a process, with a purpose and a plan that God had for John like we just saw, that we would think, now watch this, we would think God would send John to the best schools, wouldn't we? If I had that big of a, if I had that big of a job for John to be the preparer of Jesus, then I would probably send him to the best theological schools, wouldn't you? I'd have him learn under the best teachers, law professors, I would make sure that he had, he had definitely memorized the whole Old Testament. I, I would ensure that. I would think that would be the process that I would, it would prescribe for John. But that is not the process that God had for John, and nor for us most of the time. John was sent to grow up and grow spiritually strong in the deserts until the Lord said... He was ready. Look at verse 80 again. He says he was in the deserts till the day of his showing. He was there until God said that he was ready. Remember this morning we said deserts are dry, they're lonely, they're desolate, they're barren, they're typically and seemingly unuseful places. But I want, you to, I want to show you what I believe John learned through the process of the desert. Would you flip to one more place for me? 1 Peter chapter 1. We were there this morning. 1 Peter chapter 1. I think the process of John being in the desert... It revealed to John that he had to be other than. Other than. Now, how many of you have ever heard the word holy? You ever heard the word holy? We sang about it this morning. We sang, I think, about it tonight. I don't know about you, but I, I grew up in church since the time I was three years old. I went to Bible college. And it wasn't until probably uh, I was in my maybe late 30s, early 40s, um, that, that the light bulb went on. I always looked at the word holy as I had to have a halo over my head and I had to live a perfect life without sin. And if I couldn't do that, then I was not what? Holy. Now, maybe, maybe you are far, far more advanced than I was and am, and that's okay. Just I'm a slow learner. 
But I'm sure some of you probably have felt the same way about that word holy. As a matter of fact, it almost kind of scared me. And I'll tell you the reason it scared me, because look in 1 Peter chapter 1. And look if you would at uh, verse uh, down, where, where'd it go, where'd it go? Somebody tell me where it went. Uh, there it is, verse 16, thank you. But as he, verse 15, but as he which hath called you holy, it, uh, you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. That word conversation means the way you live. Be holy in the way you live. Why? Because it is written, be ye holy for I am holy. There it is, that, that scared me half to death. God says, be holy because I'm holy. And the thunder rolls and the lightning flashes. And we're all going, oh, what do I do? And I thought, here's my, and, and, and please forgive me. I thought a lot of years of my life, there's no way I could ever do that. That's impossible. There's, you know what? I might not, I, I, I might, not, might as well not even try. Because it's not going to happen until someone helped me. And the light bulb went on and gave me an understanding and a definition of holy that I've never forgotten. Here's what the word holy means. Other than. O-T-H-E-R-T-H-A-N. Other than. Now watch this. God says, I am holy. Here's what God says. I am other than anything else. You get it? Did God create everything that is? Do we believe that? Say amen. amen. God is other than anything he created. If God was created, he's not God. Therefore, he's not holy. Holy means God is other than anything else. Now, here's what he said. He says, just like I am other than... I want you to live your life other than anything else in this world. Now watch this. When John went to the desert, God had to teach John how to be other than the culture around him. Remember, he was coming into a very religious society. Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, very religious. They had, the, they had their religion. They, they, had, they had the law. They, they had all these rules and, and rules upon rules upon rules. They had all that. But John had to be different because he had a different message. Remember, they dressed up in all their garb and had their front list. They had their bells. They, they had all, I mean, they, they looked all this part and they perceived, they looked like representatives of God. But really, really, were they? No. So John went to the desert, and God taught John how to be holy, to be other than. So here's what happened. This wild man comes out of the desert wearing camel's hair and eating locusts and wild honey. What in the world? And the Bible says in Matthew that all of Jerusalem came out to hear this nut. What's this message he's saying? This guy is preaching at the Jordan. He's baptizing people. People are coming out. Listen, he's wearing camel hair. What? Here's what John was. John was other than.
John was living holy. You know what God, you know what God drives us to the desert? He doesn't drive you to the desert so that you look like, and please don't be offended when I say this, I don't mean it offensively, but God does not drive you to the desert so that you can go looking Amish. That's not what he's doing. God says, I want you to live holy in all manner of conversation. The way that you do life tomorrow when you go to work, I want you to look other than the way your other co-workers do it. The way your co-workers talk at work, I want you to do it other than. The way that your neighbors raise their kids, I want you to do it other than. Hey, the way that, the way that, the way that your, uh, your, your, your people, your friends with, uh, and how they, how they do life and how they party, I want you to live life other than. It doesn't mean weird. It doesn't mean strange. It doesn't mean we draw attention to us by the things that we do on the outside. No, it's how I live my life. Is my life pointing to someone else greater than me? That's other than living. That is the way John learned in the desert how to do life. And listen to me, this process took 30 years. 30 years. We think we get it in one Sunday. We think we get it in one service. We think we get it in one revival. Oh, no, 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 no. Friend, it's years and years in the desert. In the desert. How long has God had you in the desert places where He is preparing you? He is making you ready and willing to follow and fulfill your purpose and His plan for your life. So, here's, I'm done right here. Remember this morning I gave you two action steps, remember? Be patient, pay attention. I'm gonna give you one tonight. So that's a total of three for this week. Only, listen, that's a pretty good deal in it. Three easy steps for the week. Pay attention. Be patient. Here's the last action step. Trust the process. Trust the process. See, we struggle with the process because we fail to see the purpose behind the losing seasons. See, when you look at the 76ers, nobody understood why do we keep losing. I don't understand it. Why can't we just win now? Why can't we just win now? Why can't we get some good players now? Why can't we do this now? No, 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 no. You have to go through the losing seasons. Watch this. In order to appreciate when you start winning. The, the, the pain, the hurt, the struggle to get to winning, it took a lot of losing seasons to get there. It took a lot of deserts to get there. Too many times we want the win now. We want to celebrate the championship today. We want the thrills of victory immediately without going through the pains and the hurts and disappointments and defeats that only take place in the desert seasons of our lives. Church, not being willing to trust the process is saying I don't trust the management. Did you hear that? Saying I don't trust the process is saying I don't trust the management. And who's our management? God.
I don't trust that God knows what he's doing. Here's what Paul said and reminded us of in Philippians 1.6. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work, where? In you. Will see it through. He'll perform it. He'll do it until the day of Jesus Christ. You can trust the management. Trust the deserts. Trust the process. I know, I know you know this verse if you've been in church any time at all. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not to your own understanding. I don't understand the desert. You never will. But in all your ways, acknowledge Him. And He'll do what? He'll direct your path in the deserts. Trust the process. You see, when we trust the process, we are declaring that we are trusting the God behind the process. Do you trust Him? Are you trusting Him? Right now, whatever your desert is, whatever, wherever, whatever place you are in your desert, are you continuing to trust Him that He knows what He's doing?